Good morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Yes, we continue to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I'm so glad that you have joined us today for this time of worship as we focus our hearts on mine, on Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Of course, it's also a very special day because it's Mother's Day. And so we want to extend a, our, our gratitude and, and our gratitude to all the moms who are tuning in today uh, for your sacrificial love that you bestow upon your children. And so thank you very much. And today we're going to offer up a prayer uh, to God, thanking God for mothers, but also thanking God for those special women in our lives who have impacted us in so many different ways, who have presented to us a godly example for us to imitate. And so again, uh, God's blessings to all the moms who are out there today. The first reading for this Fifth Sunday of Easter is from Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7, selected verses. Focusing in on the seven deacons, and specifically one of the seven deacons, Stephen, who was martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom you will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and they disputed with Stephen. And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out 
Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2. Like newborn babies, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you... You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of respect for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I invite you to rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel appointed for this Sunday is from the Gospel of St. John, the 14th chapter. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I'll take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father." Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But I'm going to focus specifically on two verses, two of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who belong to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now, but now you have received mercy. This is our text. Dear fellow believers in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who is indeed our confidence for our salvation. Who are you? It sounds like a simple enough question, doesn't it? And yet as we consider this question, we find that it can be quite a complicated answer. If you ask me, who are you? I would say, well, I am Glenn Schaefer. I'm the son of Earl and Shirley. I'm the brother to Bill and Brenda and Gail. I'm the husband to Sandra, the father of, to four children, a father-in-law to a son-in-law, the papa to a granddaughter, and the one on the way. If you pressed me just a little bit further, I would probably add, well, I'm a child of God. I was baptized into the Lord's family in June of 1961. I'm ordained as a Lutheran pastor, and I am the pastor of St. James Lutheran Church. If I asked you the same question, who are you, how might you respond? Well, you might respond similarly because our biological birth or our adopted family are really important in forming our identity. And then as we create our own families, and then as we experience the rebirth into the family of God, again, we additionally have our identity given to us. But where the question, who are you, becomes a little bit more complicated is when we add additional identities to who we are. So let me illustrate. Who are you? Well, I'm a cancer survivor, or I'm a victim of abuse. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm a COVID-19 survivor. I'm a, and you name your occupation, I'm single. I'm a mom. I'm a single mom. I'm divorced. I'm a widow. I'm gay. I'm a male trapped in a woman's body. I'm a boomer. I'm a millennial. I'm a Tiger fan. I'm a Wolverine fan. I'm an African-American. I'm a Latino-American. I'm a veteran. I'm an American. I'm a Lutheran. The list could go on and on, couldn't it? As we talk about the various kinds of identities that we have. And the uniqueness of each person testifies to the creativity of our Creator God. Each of us is a distinct contribution to the tapestry of God's human creation. We are as unique as a snowflake. 
As someone said, when I think of you, I think of a snowflake. Because just like a snowflake, you are one of a kind. But do you see how the simple question, who are you, can become quite complicated when we add all these other layers of identities? We're like our own unique mashup, a mixture or fusion of disparate competing elements. And these identities, they shape They shape our understanding of self. They influence our sense of belonging. They sway the view in which they sway our view in how we think about God or how we see God or even how we see the world and even see ourselves. They spawn behaviors and beliefs in us of what we think is right or what we think is wrong, what we think is moral or what we think is immoral. And many of these identities are a source of joy and contentment for us. Others are a badge of honor. Some reflect the deep-seated emotional and physical scars that we've experienced in life. Some are a result of our parents' DNA or the location where we were born. Some are a result of our rebellion against God and His natural law. These sub-identities, as I call them, have the potential to be very dangerous and detrimental to our physical and our emotional and spiritual well-being. Particularly when they become the defining criteria of our self-understanding. When they distort our perception of God and our relationship to Him. Or when they draw us away from our Savior and the salvation that He has won for us on the cross. Or when they displace our core identity our essential identity, when they deprive us of our eternal treasure, the treasure that God desires to give to us. These sub-identities or these secondary identities can become our gods whom we fear, love, trust, and serve even above the God who created us and who has redeemed us. I think you would agree that one of the most fundamental factors that forms our identity is our family origins. I mean, we inherit our DNA from our parents. We are born into a particular family, in a particular place, in a particular time. And the list could go on. I mean, I'm proud to be a Schaefer. I'm proud to call Earl and Shirley my mom and dad. I'm proud to say that I'm a Canadian, for I was born in Canada. I'm proud and find much joy and contentment in knowing that I'm a husband to my wonderful wife, Sandra, and that we've been blessed by God with four children and a son-in-law and a granddaughter and a, a grandson on the way. And I think you would probably share some of those sentiments, too, as you look at your life your family of origins, the family in which you find yourself, the family that you've created. It can be such a source of joy and contentment. It really is where we get so much of our identity and satisfaction in life. And yet, even our family has the potential to distort our perception of God and our understanding of Him. It has our family even as the potential to draw us away from our Savior Jesus Christ and our salvation through Him. 
It even has the, op- it even has the potential to de- displace our core identity of who we are in Jesus Christ. It has even the potential to deprive us of the eternal salvation, that eternal treasure that God desires for us. I think that's why Jesus speaks these shocking words when he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, then he cannot be my disciple. You see, not even our family is to be our God. Our family is not to deter us or dissuade us from the worship of the one true God and believing in Christ as our Savior. And if our family does do that, then Jesus would say we even need to turn away from our family. Those are tough words, aren't they? As I said, they're shocking words because our identity is so attached to our family. Our sense of belonging is so attached to our family. St. Paul's identity was at one time tied to his race and his pharisaical religion. Paul writes, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city of Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and I was zealous toward God as you are today. And then he goes on in Philippians to say, I was circumcised on the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal and persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is the law, blameless. Yes, Paul found his identity in his race and in his religion. But following his conversion to faith in Jesus Christ, Paul doesn't just experience a transformation of names from that of Saul to Paul, but he experienced a transformation of identity. Paul's identity is now centered in Christ. That's his core identity. He now realizes he is chosen of God. He is a recipient of God's mercy through his Savior, Jesus Christ. He is a forgiven sinner. He is a missionary sent by Christ, the one who he once persecuted, now sent by Christ to the Gentiles. Something similar is true for us. For you see, our conversion to faith in the true God results in us undergoing a conversion, a transformation of identity. Our core identity is not even found in our biological family. It's not found in all of those sub-identities that I've listed before that you could list yourself. Our core identity, who we are, is connected directly to God's relationship with us. St. Peter writes, According to His great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, when we experience the new birth of holy baptism, when we are converted to faith in Jesus Christ, when we're converted to faith in the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are given a treasure. 
And not just the treasure of the promise of everlasting life, but we're given the treasure of a new core Trinitarian-centered identity. And that's what St. Peter speaks of in our text for this morning. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people who belong to God. You were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, that's who we are. When God establishes a relationship with us, when we are converted to faith in that one true God. We are God's chosen people. Can you think of a higher privilege than that, to know that the one who created the heavens and the earth has chosen you? He's chosen me. The one who was willing to die on the cross for us, he chose you and he chose me. And the Holy Spirit who came to us in the waters of holy baptism and created faith in our hearts, he chose you and he chose me me so we are his chosen people that's who we are and we are his royal priests i always like to focus on that word royal it means that we're kingly princely it means that we are rich in christ rich not in wealth but rich in Christ's love, rich in the treasure that He has promised for us that we heard about last Sunday, that treasure that, can, that is being guarded and kept for us in heaven that can never perish, spoil, or fade, the salvation of our souls. And so we're rich in God's grace and Jesus' forgiveness, rich in that treasure, and we're His priests. We're given the privilege by our Lord to, to serve Him, to serve one another, to offer up prayers on behalf of one another, to, to speak of His Word to other people, the privilege of being His ambassador. That's another thing that He calls us. And so we are God's chosen people. We are royal priests. We are holy. Holy because of Christ. You may say, Pastor Schaefer, there's nothing holy about me. I mean, if you got to know me, you would know that there are things that I've committed and done that I don't even know if God can forgive. I know I can't forgive myself for it. No, I'm not holy. But you see, in God's eyes, you and I are holy. We're holy because of the blood that Jesus Christ shed for us on the cross. That's what Peter testifies to in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he says, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so that's who you are, and that's who I am. We are holy and pure in the sight of our Lord because we have been washed clean by the blood of the lamb. And we're citizens we're citizens in the kingdom of God. Oh yes, I'm a proud Canadian. You might be a proud American. Or you might be a proud something else, whichever country that you claim as your home and nationality. 
but nothing compares to being a citizen in the kingdom of God. It trumps all nationalities. In fact, what's so wonderful about the kingdom of God is that it includes people of all colors and cultures and languages. There's no room for racism and segregation. None at all. For we are all one in Christ. Later on today at 11 a.m., I'm going to be leading a Bible study on Revelation 7. And I just so love Revelation 7 because we have a picture there in the verses 9 and onward of, of, of heaven, the glories of heaven. And there we're told that people of every nation, tribe, and language group are around the throne of the Lamb and we're joining our voices. I can just vision us all speaking our own different languages, people of all kinds of colors and race, and we're unified in our worship of the Lamb of God who was slain for us and praising the Father who sent Him into this world to be our Savior. That's the citizenship we hold. That's who we are, citizens in the kingdom of God. And as a result, we're the recipients of God's mercy. Yes, we are graced by God each and every day. Every day we live in His in His undeserved grace and favor. We're loved by Him with a love that we can't, we can't even necessarily comprehend. We can only stand in awe and say, thank you, Lord, for loving me in such a way. And He reminds us that we are His treasured possession. You know, one of my favorite stories to tell, and maybe I've even told it already as pastor of St. James, even though I've only been here a little over a year, but I love to tell the story of a, of a young girl. This little girl had been given a collection of porcelain dolls from all over the world. I mean, these were expensive dolls. And they were not only expensive because they're porcelain, but they were dressed in exquisite silk dresses. Well, one day there was a visitor to this girl's home, and the, and the woman, this visitor, this woman, heard about the girl's doll collection. So she said to the girl, may I take a look at your collection? And so the little girl, you know, took her by the hand and led her up the stairs and into her bedroom. And sure enough, there were all of these porcelain dolls from all over the world just lining the room. And they were beautiful. I mean, some of the dresses were exquisite. And the woman just was kind of amazed by it all. And she looked at the little girl and she said, of all these dolls, which is your favorite? Well, then the woman was a little bit surprised. Because the, the little girl, she bent down under her bed and she pulled out a shoebox and she placed the shoebox on her bed and she opened that shoebox and she pulled out this old ragged tattered doll it had a smudge on its face it had it had a its dress was torn some of the doll's hair was missing one of the arms was even missing and one of the legs was just hanging on by a few threads and this little girl holding this doll so close to her heart said, this is my, my favorite doll. And the woman said, with all of these dolls, why is this one your favorite? And the little girl replied, this is my favorite doll because I know that if I don't love her, nobody will. If I don't love her, nobody will. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, while we were still that smudged, dilapidated doll, our Savior loved us. Jesus said, if I don't love him, 
if I don't love her with all of his or her faults and imperfections and his or her deepest and darkest secrets, well, then who will love them? And you know, this might be said really of us all. Our Savior loves us so much that he became stained by our sin. He was broken and bruised on a cross. Jesus was unwanted, rejected not just by men, but even by his heavenly Father, so that we would not be unwanted, unloved, orphaned forever. But instead, our Savior takes us into his loving arms and and he clutches us as if we're his most dearest, treasured possession. And one of the most amazing things about Jesus' love is that he can love you and me and all the people of the world in the same way. St. John writes, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God because that's who and what we are. Not only are we God's chosen people, not only are we royalty and royal priests in his eyes, not only are we priests to serve in his kingdom, not only are we citizens of a holy nation, not only are we a people who belong to God, but we, you and I, are his children, daughters and sons in his family. That's our core identity. That's who we are. And all of these other sub-identities, these that we have, that make us up, make up who we are, well, they need to kind of get in line, if you will, with our core identity. We need to adjust adjust our identity and our thinking and our beliefs and our allegiances and our goals and our behaviors to how it is that God sees us and not the other way around. So who are you? How would you respond? Well, hopefully you would respond by saying, I'm a child of God. I'm one of his chosen people. I'm royalty in his eyes. I'm privileged to serve as his priest. I belong to a holy nation that includes people of all tribes and nations and languages. And, and I, well, I have a treasure that God has given to me, an eternal treasure in which he promises me that I'll live with him forever. That's who I am. Now may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen.